Hey guys and girls, welcome, welcome to, to Single to Sealed. I'm Jerry, your host, and here with me is my co-host and wife, Brianna. As members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, we have dedicated this podcast to helping fellow Christians navigate the treacherous waters of dating all the way to the winding roads of marriage. All are welcome in our podcast family, and we are so excited to have you here with us. Be sure to subscribe, follow, or favorite. Let's talk. What's up, everybody? Single to Sealed here, and your favorite co-host, Jerry? Am I allowed to say favorite? <laughs> no. No, that's not allowed. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you're the co-host and I'm the host, that's allowed. Uh, uh, <laughs> actually, I'm, I'm kind of curious who people enjoy more listening to on the podcast, whether it's me or it's you. Maybe we'll have to do a poll on Instagram. I, I almost don't want to know the data, though. And it's not for, for me. It's just I don't want people to make you feel bad when you lose. Savage. <laughs> okay. Well, on that note, <laughs> we're going to jump into our topic today. Jerry, do you want to introduce our lovely guest that we have on with us today? You guys, today we're going to talk about a very difficult subject, and that is how do we build trust again after having some kind of sexual trauma of some sort in our life? And today with us, we have Kelsey Kim Barris. And I'm going to read you a little introduction about her. So she's a licensed clinical social worker and received her bachelor's in psychology from BYU in Provo. Go Cougs. <laughs> and her master of social work from Eastern Washington University. Kelsey has worked over 10 years doing mental health therapy, as well as working in medical social work and doing adoption work. And so over the last 10 years, Kelsey has worked with a wide population concerning mental health and relationship issues such as trust, anxiety, depression, trauma, self-harm, suicide, and sexual health. Kelsey is a member of AASECT. Kelsey, is that like an abbreviation for something like ASECT? Yeah, ASECT. All right. And that's the American Association of sexuality educators counselors and therapists so a little bit of a mouthful there and she's currently working to be licensed with that group as a sex therapist kelsey received her sexual health certificate through the university of michigan and currently works with individuals concerning sexual trauma relationship and health and she currently resides in the salt lake area and does therapy in her private practice via video sessions so when she's not working which she does a lot. She enjoys spending time with the family, of course, traveling the world, and learning how to cook, but most recently has taken up baking. Ooh. What was the most recent thing you baked, Kelsey? So the most recent thing I baked was uh, sourdough English muffins. And Ooh. because I had all this extra sourdough starter because I was trying to be one of those people during uh -huh. the pandemic is a doing a sourdough and it, it failed. The sourdough starter <laughs> failed miserably. My English muffins failed. So oh, no. <laughs> so normally when things go bad, people say, oh, that turned out sour. But like if it's sourdough and it turns out bad, what do you just say? That's sweet. <laughs> I have no idea. Extra sour. I have no idea. It was pretty bad. <laughs> hey, but at least you tried. I, I've heard a lot about sourdough. But I've never tried it myself because I have no idea even where to start. Yeah, and our family, I am the cook and mm -hmm. Brianna's the baker. Yeah. They're they are definitely not the same. 
No. I, Jerry is very good at like intuitively cooking and like throwing together meals just off of what he, you know, is inspired to make. I am one of those people that can cook really good following a recipe, Mm -hmm. but I'm not one of those people that's like, oh, this needs some turmeric, you know, (laughs) and that's, that's more like what Jerry is. (laughs) So baking works good for me because baking is all about, you know, following the recipe to the tea and, and it'll turn out good. So what what kind of got you on your road to therapy? How did you decide that course? That's a good question. I um it wasn't actually when I was in grad school. I was going into social work specifically wanting to do adoption work. Um in my family, uh, all us kids are adopted. And so and my dad was an attorney who did a, a, a quite a bit of adoption work as well. So that's the reason why I went into social work. But as I was going through my program, I I took classes and uh, part of my practicum placement. I just really liked the the therapy side of of social work, and so and then even then, I uh, was able to take a class about medical social work, and that just sort of projected me onto my career path where I've dabbled in adoption work. I've been in medical social work for a long time, and uh, I've been doing therapy since I've been out of grad school. So uh, that's, I think, that's the beauty of school and having to take certain courses or getting opportunities to choose certain courses. It just, it can sort of spark an interest along the way. So very fortunate to have had really great professors to spark that in me. Yeah. So it came from a place of like love and inspiration for you. Yeah. That's awesome. I love that. And though I'm sure a lot of the topics that you end up addressing in therapy can be, can be pretty difficult, but I know it's definitely rewarding to be able to help people to you know solve their issues that they're, that they're having. It is, it's bittersweet. So I always tell my clients that my job is to work myself out of the job uh, (laughs) because the whole point of therapy is getting them to a place where they can function and manage their own emotional um, well-being on their own based off of skills and processing and work that they've done through therapy where they don't need to come see me as frequently um, or at, at all. And so when it gets to a place where they they stop coming, it is sort of, it's really actually bittersweet because there is that level of rapport and relationship. It's and for lack of a better word, it's it's very intimate. It's very personal mm-hmm. um, pe- when people come to therapy and to see the progress that's made to the point where they they're doing so well uh, and they don't need to continue on. It's, it's really rewarding, but yet sad at the same time because you do build that relationship with them. I think therapists have a really special and unique job because not to get too, I guess, Christian or spiritual, but you guys come really close to being able to be like the savior and that you get to hear a lot of these people's struggles and really get down on their level and, and help raise them up. Um, and you get to see people, people for who they are and, and love them for who they are and then help them improve. So I think it's a pretty amazing career path to choose. And it takes someone really special to do that. So I want to say on behalf of 
everyone in the world, thank you for choosing to do this and, and to be a therapist because it's definitely much needed. So, oh, we well, thank you. you. Thank you. And thanks so much for being on the podcast today. I really appreciate it. So we're ready to dive into our into our topic. When you both reached out to me uh, and you pulled your um, on social media, like what they were interested in, surprisingly, there was a lot of questions concerning trauma and obviously trust and healing um, with trauma. And that is unfortunately not surprising. Uh, I, in my full-time job, I have a, I have a graduate student. And one of the things that I've spoken to her about was needing to make sure she gets the practice and the skill sets and certification in some type of trauma uh, modality of treatment, because no one is immune to any type of trauma, um, whether or not it's trauma through natural disaster or through loss or in the topic that we're discussing, uh, sexual trauma. And so that's unfortunately huge. And it's what we see quite a bit in there, at least what I see in therapy. I would probably guess most therapists see it as well. So the topic, and it's this topic is hard because it's so intense and it's meaty. Uh, it's just, there's so much to it. And so I wanted to provide some education and information about what sexual trauma is and um, the types of uh, trauma that's part of the sexual um, sexual violence that can happen towards someone, and then recognizing signs and symptoms of our experiences, and then a little bit about the healing, and then support from other people. Um, it's just it's it's a lot to cover in one in one podcast or one hour. Yeah. <laughs> it's a lot. So there there may be questions that people will have that aren't going to be answered and that's 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 okay. I don't expect to answer any but everybody's questions. And I may just barely it's really the tip of the iceberg um mm-hmm. in this case. And I wanted people for your listeners to know that anytime I find that a lot of times especially with clients and with people I work with, a lot of times there needs to be a permission given because sometimes we just, we don't do it ourselves. So I want to give the listeners permission that if a topic I may be discussing or presenting is hard for them to hear, that they are okay to pause and reset and take care of themselves. And then if they can come back and finish, wonderful. But um that's my big thing. And that's what I always, you know, I want to always make sure the person I'm working with, that they have that permission that it's their own pacing. Thank you for that. I think that's really important. So for all of you listening, please, please take that to heart. And, and we're not going to be offended if you have to shut off this podcast. Um, we, we really want this to be something that's very informative, but we also want it to be very raw and, and truthful. And so we want to make sure that we're hitting these important topics that a lot of you guys have asked about. 
And so just like Kelsey said, this is going to be the tip of the iceberg. This is going to be more or less an outline of what you're going to deal with if you try to go and get help for sexual trauma or um, if, if you need help with any other kind of trauma uh, for that for that matter. And so uh, if you don't feel that we're going in deep enough in some of these categories, you can feel free to reach out to us. You can also feel free to reach out to Kelsey um, later on or any other therapist if there's something that, that piques your interest. And we may go into depth more on some of these topics later in the future, um, but we haven't decided yet. So let's just focus on this outline today and hope that you guys can take the best of it. So let's go ahead, Kelsey. Perfect. Thank you. So I just wanted to just give the definition out there that um, how I would define sexual trauma um, is the emotional response to a terrible event like sexual violence. So with that, sexual violence is all-encompassing. So sexual violence can mean sexual assault. And within sexual assault, there's a lot of different um, avenues with that. There's sexual harassment. There's attempted rape. There's fondling or unwanted sexual touching. Um, there's forcing a victim to perform such sexual acts, uh, such as oral sex or penetration. And, um, there's the penetrative of the victim's body as well, known as rape. Um, and then from sexual assault, there is going to be intimate partner sexual violence. So there is that myth that if you are married or with a significant partner, that that can't be that can't be rape, but it can be. And so they they refer it to as intimate partner sexual violence. There's child sexual abuse um, and molestation. There's incest. Uh, too often it's overlooked, but there's sexual assault of men and boys. And then um, drug facilitated sexual assault. And a lot of times in my own practice, that that's a common one where the client that I'm seeing was put in a situation where the perpetrator was under the influence of a substance, whether or not, you know, alcohol, drugs, marijuana, and things happened. Um, so that's what that would be about. Or the other way, maybe the client was drinking or was under the influence of drugs and someone took advantage of, of the individual. And so those are briefly sort of uh, the, the many types of sexual violence that can be committed against or towards someone. Unfortunately, this is really common. I was doing some research. And so the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention here in the U.S., um, reports that nearly one in five women in the U.S. Um, are raped or sexually assaulted at some point in their lives. And it's often by someone that they know and trust. And then the numbers are higher in some of the Asian, African, and Middle Eastern countries. And then it also said that one in six men have been victims of sexual abuse as children as well. I know a lot of times when a client comes sees me, if for them, it feels very alone. Um, it's it, it's a lonely process to go in 
um, and to experience. And so I'm bringing these numbers up, not to minimize what someone's going through, but to just educate and let people know that this is a frequent, it's a frequent thing, unfortunately, and it's, it's an epidemic. Like it's something that is going unchecked, unfortunately. And so if it has ever happened to you, know that many other people have experienced it, whether or not they are seeking help or have admitted it or reported it, um, that there, there are others who, who unfortunately have experienced some of these things that I just mentioned. Um, if you find yourself having experienced any of those uh, acts of sexual violence, I think a, a lot of times people end up not reporting because I find that they there's fear and anxiety. Uh, a lot of who's going to believe me, a lot of taking on the, that responsibility um, for what happened to them. Uh, there's feelings of shame, guilt, terror, there's blaming, um, of themselves. And so that is a common thing that I see with my clients that I've, I've worked with for, for sexual trauma. Um, I, over my career, I've seen clients from ages five, six, um, up to adults and seniors discussing about either current things that have they've experienced um, the traumatic things or even past past traumatic things um, and events it happens to all ages and all all races and doesn't matter if you're female or male um, if you identify that that may have happened to you um, some signs and symptoms of trauma would be, Immediately after the event, um, there will be shock and denial. Uh, um, that's pretty pretty typical. Uh, I find that a lot of people, especially with older uh, ages, like teenagers and adults, uh, there's a feeling of being unclean. So they, they want to go shower and they want to just sort of wash themselves and and obviously, if you get to, you know, if you, you end up reporting it to the police, it's or you go into the emergency department afterwards, the big thing is don't take a shower because there, there tends to be evidence there. But that's that seems to be a common thing for people um, to do. And then the longer term reactions include um, emotional uh, unpredictable emotions, flashbacks to the event, and then strained relationships can come up. I like to categorize these symptoms of trauma into two things. One is one are the physical symptoms and the other one is the psychological emotional symptoms. Uh, our minds and bodies are very much connected with each other. Maybe someone's feeling okay overall emotionally, but the it symptoms may come up physically. Um, is more common than people think. So psychological symptoms would be confusion or exhaustion, 
anger and irritability, excessive guilt and shame. There's self-blame, sadness, denial, difficulty regulating emotions, disassociation. Um, And disassociation is disassociating from your body and your mind. There's a mental experience going on. So that way you're not within your body, experience it. The person has become more detached to help. It's a, it's a coping mechanism. It's um, like extreme zoning out, right? Um, it can be extreme zoning out. That's when uh, there's there's an actual uh, mental health diagnosis called disassociative um, disorder. And, mm-hmm. and that is, I guess, for lack of a non-clinical uh, word, it would be mm-hmm. uh, split personality disorders. Um, at times. So people can dissociate by zoning out and then it can get to more extreme where a new personality persona comes into play to sort of protect, to protect themselves. Um, the, the mind, the, the, it's amazing how our human mind is resilient. It will get to a place of trying, you know, to that place of trying to protect the person from whatever's, you know, they're experiencing. It's, it's, it's really fascinating how our minds and our bodies will do to recover from trauma. And then there's feeling either too little, um, meaning that they're numb or feeling too much where they get super overwhelmed easily. And then they can have hallucinations, delusions at times. So, and obviously the common uh, trauma responses could be depression, anxiety, uh, PTSD, attachment issues. Uh, a lot of times addiction can come up. It's hard to feel what they're feeling. Um, so taking something helps with that. In fact, uh, I was reading an article and it said that research suggests that uh, survivors of abuse are 26 times more likely to use drugs or alcohol to help numb the pain. Wow. And I have found throughout my my career, a lot of times emotional pain is the hardest. It's the hardest for people to feel and to work through. And so they will use substances to numb or that's when they will turn to self-harming. So you get a lot of people who end up self-harming like cutting because physical pain is more bearable than the emotional pain. Or it gets to a place where they are feeling so numb that when they self-harm, that brings some type of uh, feeling back into their, into their being. Sexual trauma is not kind to, to a person in all the different ways that you know, people can, can experience these symptoms. Now, there's definitely a range of what a person goes through and how they go through it. You know, you can have two people who experience the same thing. The level of trauma response and how they react and respond to it is going is going to be different. Um, it may be more traumatic for one person versus another person. And that's why this is just general information out there for people and um I, any of the symptoms that I may have brought up and you're just like, well, I have maybe some of those, but I don't have all, you don't need all of them and that's okay. So that's the psychological, um, emotional symptoms of trauma. And then the physical side could be, obviously there's bruises and cuts and possibly broken bones during this, um, the, the violent act and even damage to the genital region. 
could happen. But over time, what can happen is um, we find that people will develop chronic pain without any obvious physical cause. So chronic pain tends to be a common physical symptom, headaches, gastrointestinal disease, upset stomach, immune system issues, dizziness, chest pain, discomfort in the body at times. And then obviously flowing into this, it would be um, possible ST, STIs, um, sexual transmitted illnesses or diseases, or and then sexual dysfunction or possibly fertility issues as well. Sexual trauma is heavy. One of the things that I would I would tell parents when I saw saw kids for sexual abuse or molestation or any any of that range, we would get to a point where we were done with treatment. And I would always tell them, don't be surprised that maybe through puberty they will need to see a therapist. Maybe when they start dating, they will need to see someone. Maybe when they get married and uh, will start being more sexually active, they may need to see a therapist. Um, Just because those are big moments in people's lives um, that really will affect their sexual health along with their emotional emotional well-being too and so uh, it's a it's a continuous process that i tell people we're we're good right now you're doing great but don't be surprised if you need to come back and do more therapy at some time uh because that can happen um and that's okay that's normal healing is a lifelong process, but it gets better and the hope is it gets better and and less often as far as those symptoms go. So it sounds like a lot and it is a lot. It's a it's it's a journey. Um when people embark on ther with therapy uh to help them work through this type of trauma. And the big thing with this is the client gets to gets to be able to sort of control the pacing, if that makes sense. Um, we, I meet where my client is. I'm not going to force my client into a place where it is. It, it, there may be times where it's uncomfortable, and that's okay. I find that discomfort allows for progression, but getting to a place where it's um, not safe or super triggering doesn't help. And so I think for those who may be, you know, on the fence for therapy, just know that, you know, you're in, you're in control of your therapy sessions. You get to decide the pacing along with a therapist there to support you along the way. Um, again, the therapist may may bring stuff up or have you work on stuff that may be a little uncomfortable and, uh, and maybe a little, uh, it's hard. Emotions are hard. Um, and it'll be bring discomfort, but that's okay as well at times, but that's, that's between the individual and their, their therapist that they're seeing. 
So I have a few questions about what we've covered so far. Mm-hmm. The first one is, how often would you say that people are able to recognize these signs and symptoms of trauma, like on their own? You you had mentioned like there, there's denial, and does that mean they just go on thinking, oh, there's nothing wrong with me, or do they just kind of ignore those symptoms? I think it's denial, and um, and they and they ignore. They ignore it um, because it's when I say this, it, it's not the case. Someone should not feel embarrassed for what happened to them. Um, but I, that's a big that's a big component. Um, people feel embarrassed. They feel shame. Um, and I will tell you, in our culture, we don't make it we don't make it easy um, for people who have struggled with uh, sexual trauma for our our men and our boys. Um, there's a level of, well, being, um, emasculated, um, that why weren't you strong enough to, you know, to resist? Um, and then for women, there's a lot of, you know, I mean, it's, it's a victim blaming. There's a lot of victim blaming that goes on. Well, what did she do to, to, to make him or what was she wearing? Exactly. That's a huge one. What was she wearing? Um, a, a one that I, I had years ago as I had a, I had a teenager who was hanging out with some friends and there were some people who were, they were smoking, they were smoking uh, marijuana and they were, they were hanging out on the couch and this boy that was sitting next to her started touching her. And I think what happened, you know, at that moment, there's shock going on. Um, Someone's just in shock, like what's happening. And then a lot of times I will find that they'll say no or, or, and the person keeps persisting. They keep, they keep going and going and going and to the point where the person just gives up. Um, And it, and like I mentioned earlier, it is super common for um, for these sexual assaults to happen with people that they know, or friends of friends, or um, you know, a, on a date or whomever. And I think a lot of times people envision sexual assault or rape to be very forceful and very violent. Sort of, um, unfortunately, maybe is portrayed in movies or in television, and that's not the case. It is usually someone that they know and they won't say anything. Either they don't say anything at all or they'll initially say no, but then the person just keeps, you know, they keep persisting and then eventually the person just gives up. And, um, and so with that, with that one client that I saw, that is what happened. And, Unfortunately, and the parents obviously care. Uh, I mean, there's no question about that. But there, I mean, this was the question that came to me. Why would she put herself in that position? And that's when I had to educate the parent. This isn't a, this is not her responsibility. It's not like she went over to hang out with some friends wanting to be sexually assaulted. So 
Why didn't she get up? Why didn't she get up and leave? Why didn't, you know, and those are all questions that like, I understand that goes through people's heads, but the reality is, is that is a, that is a form of victim blaming. Um, People are in shock. They don't know how to respond. They're, they're confused. They're, they're not, they're, they want to be accepted. They want this. They don't want to be, um, seen as difficult or make a scene. That's a big one. They don't want to make a scene. And so things happen and, and then it comes back. Well, why did she put herself in that situation? What was she wearing? What was she doing versus what are you talking about? What about him? Why did he feel like, and when I say he, I don't mean to generalize because you know perpetrators but in this specific situation yeah talking about it the guy it's a guy like why you know why did he feel like he could take advantage of her in that moment and then a lot of times people will blame the drug oh i don't usually do it i was just high Mm -mm. that's not okay that's not a good enough excuse um and that's but that's a common one even for my adult um my adult clients you know they'll get to a point where I shouldn't have been drinking so much. And granted, the population that um, that may be listening to this, maybe um, majority um, uh, Latter Day Saints may not that may not be an issue as is being under an influence. But you know, just in case, like either that the person may or the perpetrator may be, and either way, it's not okay. Um, I always tell people if you've said no then it's no. Even if you said yes, if you've decided to go along with it, but then you decide to change your mind, the yes doesn't mean anything anymore. You changed your mind. You don't want to do it. Then that there you go. That's what the, that is what the respect is right there. And also people say, if you didn't say no, then it's a yes. But I've heard people say it has to be a resounding yes, like an enthusiastic yes, or it's a no. Yes. And if you don't get a yes from someone and they don't say anything or something like that, like that girl in that case, she didn't say yes originally, but he did it anyways. And so that was a no. That was (laughs) a no. Because he didn't ask her first. Silence (laughs) silence is a no. Taking advantage of someone who's intoxicated, that person is not cognitive aware to be able to say yes or to say no. So you it's a no yep. <laughs> kind of thing. You don't have permission. Um, and that is a common one too um, that that I see as well. And so victim blaming is huge. And then the victim themselves will do that blaming. Well, I shouldn't have put myself in that situation. I, you know, and that's something I have to continuously talk to them about and process with them because you don't, they don't take ownership of, the other person's horrible actions. Um, a great analogy that I learned when I was going through my trauma, is, um, and we'll get to that, the types of um, uh, modalities for treatment, for therapy, but I was getting my certification in trauma-focused uh, CBT, and CBT stands for Cognitive Behavioral Therapy. And a great analogy that I learned from that training um, that I like to use is you know, say you're in your home and you open up the garage and you're super excited. You got this new bike or new toy or whatever, and you go outside and you're riding your bike and you went on a bike ride and you come back and you put it in your garage and you go inside and you forget to close the garage door. And then during the night, someone comes in and steals your bike and whatever else. 
So there's going to be that automatic response of like, oh, I should have closed. Why didn't I close the garage door? Why, you know, that was on me. I can't believe I did that. Okay. Yeah. There's some ownership there, but just because your garage door was left open, (laughs) didn't give the person permission still to, um, to come onto your property and to steal what wasn't theirs. That wasn't an invitation. It was just a mistake on your part. And that's the analogy I like to I like to give people is sometimes we unintentionally make mistakes. We don't go into places or going on a date or going to a party thinking I'm going to get I'm going to get taken advantage of tonight. We go in there thinking, okay, like, going to have fun, do what we do, but then we can get ourselves into situations that maybe aren't safe. That doesn't give the permission for someone to come in and take advantage of it. And so that is the analogy I like to use. Like, to a degree, yeah, we can take ownership for some stuff, but at the end of the day, still, doesn't give permission for people to take advantage of of the situation there's this really great video they showed us um in our orientation for uvu i went to utah valley university and it's like the the t i think it's like the t video for consent and like i don't know if you've you've ever seen it but it like talks about consent and the analogy of like giving someone a cup of tea and it gives like all these different examples of like when is it not appropriate to give someone a cup of tea like when they're passed out you don't pour the tea down their mouth and Mm -hmm. like all this kind of stuff it was like the best video i've ever seen for consent making it like lighter but also getting right to the point that it's obvious the only good time to give someone a cup of tea is if they ask for it specifically and it talks about how like they can still say no they can still decide not to drink it that's okay yeah that's their right and i'll have to link that in the show notes but it's it's a great little video i'll see if i can find it um (laughs) another thing um i i I also tell people is arousal is different than desire. And I think there's a lot of guilt um, and that comes with um, when, especially when it comes to sexual um, assault or coercion, where like the reality of it is we have a loving heavenly father who has created an intimate act to be able to procreate. And he's going to, he's going to create this act to be pleasurable. He wants that for his, he he wants that for his children to enjoy. It is, it is a blessing. And so our bodies are going to respond and react um, to that. And that's a natural, that's a natural physiological thing with um, sexual uh, arousal. And so a lot of times people will come and say, well, if you didn't want it, then why did you get, you know, why did you get aroused? Why, you know, why did your body respond to this? And that is when I tell people there's a difference between arousal and desire. Arousal is your body's going to respond because, you know, it may not initially and it, and it may not ever, but maybe it it will for some people. And Physiologically, that is what your body is made to do when when people touch you in your genital areas. But that doesn't give them permission. That is your body 
being aroused. It's like you're not hungry, but at the same time, your stomach's growling. And you're like, that's weird. I'm not hungry. Your mm-hmm. body's just doing it. At, it's at a natural process here. Desire. Desire is what's the key. Do you want this? Is this something you desire? And if emotionally and mentally it is something you don't desire, but your body is saying differently, two different things, you don't want it, no. And I think that is used a lot against um, towards uh, Mm -hmm. victims of this. So that's a lot of confusion too. People, that is something that people come in to see me as well. Well, it felt good. It's this, like I'm confused. And um, that is something that has to be worked through uh, for, for people to process that and understand that and accept that, that difference and how their body may respond. Now, the big thing with, the, was the, with this was trust. How do we trust after a sexual um, violent act? And that's going to come through the healing part. And I wish I had all the time in the world to discuss and go in depth about what the healing process could be like. The reality is this healing process is different for everybody. Um, I would say, depending on the how you feel the extent of your trauma is, you may be fine um, talking to a close loved one, um, someone you trust about it, and go from there. You may be fine turning towards um, spiritual guidance. Uh, and that is fine. I'm not saying that those wouldn't be helpful, but I would say, generally speaking, people will probably need to go seek out professional help at some point. Um, There's different types of therapy modalities or techniques specifically for trauma. Um, And so that, you know, seeking out a professional who, who specializes in those would, could be helpful. Um, And so this, the common ones, I mentioned it before, the cognitive be, um, behavior therapy, that's a common therapy period, um, whether or not trauma, people are coming in for trauma or for anxiety or for depression. Cognitive behavior therapy tends to be a good standard, um, but then you can find someone who maybe emphasizes, um, emphasizes more on trauma-focused part um, of that uh, technique could be helpful. Um, there's what's called cognitive processing therapy. Um, it's, it tends to be more structured, I guess, is the word I would think. It it tends to be a 12 week course and, um, and it's about talking about the traumatic event with a therapist and thoughts related to it and how it's affected to you. And then you write you write about it. Um, so that's another modality. There's prolonged exposure therapy. Um, again, that's more structured, involves, you know, so many sessions. There's EMDR. EMDR refers to eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. 
that's quite a mouthful. Um, that's a huge one, especially here in Utah. There's a lot of therapists who end up specializing in EMDR. Um, I've heard a lot about that one actually too. Yeah, it's 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 really fascinating. So what they end up doing is uh, they have you concentrate on uh, what they're doing. So it could be like they're moving their hand back and forth or they like are flashing a light. And the goal is, is as you're, they sort of focus, you focus in on this eye movement um, that you're thinking about the past, something positive while you remember the trauma. It's, it's really fascinating. Um, and, it, and it's not about necessarily talking and processing about the traumatic event. It's, it's just a, it's sort of retraining your neurological brain waves and how it responds to that trauma uh, or you know thoughts of that trauma. It's it's really fascinating. Um, and then there, then obviously you know people can seek out medication help as well to just help um, the the physiological struggles that people can can experience like, you know, the emotional, like the mood swings or constant anxiety, panic attacks, um, things like that. I, uh, think medication, there's a time and place for it. And so I think it can definitely be helpful, um, if, if needed, cause it can help balance the chemicals, um, our neurotransmitters. Um, when our someone's emotions are just so dysregulated, it can come in and help balance those out. And then with therapy, they're in a better place to be able to work on things in therapy. Um, and so again, that is so individualized for for clients, whether or not they do, you know, they seek out the medication part as well. But those are different types of therapy that focus in on trauma. There's also, also many other things out there, um, like um, trauma-informed or trauma-sensitive yoga uh, can be part of the therapeutic treatment. Uh, I think sometimes even massage, just because, again, getting back into our bodies and having more positive experiences with our bodies can be helpful. Massage doesn't happen in therapy. We would, we would refer you to, you know, go see a, an expert, a massage therapist for that. Um, But, but I bring these different types of techniques and ideas of what it could look like up because when someone works on the healing process, I may be working with two people about a traumatic experience and their healing journey is going to look so much different from each other. I don't have a scripted plan that I give to everybody. Um, just because again, I'm working with the individual, what they're coming to me with, with their strengths and what their, and their support systems and focus on, you know, what they need and and go from there. And so I may incorporate some writing. I may incorporate art therapy. I may incorporate um, cognitive um, behavioral therapy. I may incorporate mindfulness techniques. Um, The big thing with the healing is just noticing triggers, learning techniques to help ourselves 
work on emotionally regulation and then being a, because those are sort of the, for me, the basis. Um, so that way, as we process through the traumatic experience and discuss it, they have a good solid foundation of what they can do to help them regulate their emotions. That's going to be the big thing. Um, but healing, it's, it's a, it's a journey. It's a journey. It's a process. Um, it, it will take some time. How long? Don't know. Everybody's different. In answering someone's question, you know, how do I know that I'm ready to date after trauma? Or how do I know that I can trust someone again after trauma? You would say that's completely independent to the person, right? That like you can't, you can't just say, you know, once you're halfway through your case, through your structure, you know, it's time to get back out there. I think that's completely different for everyone. And you'd probably say it's, it's when you feel confident that you're not asking that question that you can, you can be dating. Yeah. I mean, it's, that is a great question that can only be answered in someone's healing journey. Um, someone may be ready and feel like they're ready to trust maybe sooner in the process than someone else. But yeah, I think it gets to that point of, you know, if they're not asking that question or they feel like, oh, I feel, I feel good about, or I feel okay about starting to date again. That's awesome. If it doesn't bring on the anxiety, if it doesn't bring on the, those fears, I'm not saying that won't happen. I will tell you anxiety and fear will probably happen if people put themselves out there. Cause that's a natural thing. And that's the hope with therapy and those skills that they've learned to help regulate those emotions that so they can go on a date and still feel anxiety, go on a date, have a good experience. And with those good experiences, the idea is we're now collecting positive experiences and moments to fall back on versus the negative experiences to fall back on. So what would you say to a listener who's maybe listening to this right now and thinking, oh, my assault or my experience happened too long ago, so there's no point in going in and getting help now? Or they think, oh, it was it was a smaller type of assault or something like that. It wasn't you know, as extreme, let's say, as a rape that they don't need to go in and see. What would you say to them? I would say that if I mention any of those symptoms, if you find yourself feeling more anxious, if you find yourself um, having a harder time connecting with people or relationships, um, if you're having a hard time with, you know, physical touch or trust, um, being more irritable, I would say I don't think it hurts to just to go and seek guidance and help and get a good intake and evaluation. And then from there, the the therapist can provide some guidance as far as, oh, well, yeah, you know, maybe you don't need to come and see that, you know, the therapist weekly. Maybe you just need to see them, you know, every other week a few times and then, you know, you're fine. Um, I don't think it hurts to ask for help or to seek help just, just to – Make sure that you're in a good place. I, a lot of times people minimize what's happened to them. 
because I think, again, there's that fear and that anxiety and that embarrassment and shame of what happened. I will tell you that I have spoken with people where their assault happened 30, 40 years ago. And they may have healed and they may have moved on with their lives and things are fine. But then randomly something will trigger them. A lot of times, in fact, recently, the past few years with the Me Too movement, that seems to have brought up a lot of um, uh, feelings, in, in, especially in women. And that's not bad by any means. Um, but uh, social media, pop culture, um, what we see in movies and on television, what we see in the news can be very triggering. Um, and if you find yourself being triggered, um, then, and you have more anxious, can't sleep, still thinking about it, you probably do, it would probably be good to seek out some professional help. Thank you so much for sharing that. I think that's really important for listeners to hear. Um, hopefully a lot of people that are kind of on the fence about going and getting help will be encouraged to go do that and to help help them in that area of their life. Now, as for partners or for significant others or even family members that are listening that have someone close to them that is struggling with this, how can they best support someone through this um, and maybe even encourage them to go get help from a therapist or someone like yourself? So the best thing that someone who's a support, like a family member or friend, is to is to listen. Um, I find that probably the worst thing than the the act itself, the violent act itself, is when someone does try to disclose and it is being dismissed or they weren't they weren't believed. That itself is probably more traumatic than the event itself because that's a personal job to that to that person that's like no one believes me like or it it is my fault and so if someone is disclosing trauma the best thing anybody can do is listen non-judgmental and I know I, I don't feel like people act like mean to listen in a judgmental way I don't think people are thinking oh I'm gonna listen to this person and be judgmental like we don't but I think it's an instinct that we have like well you know even if it's out of concern like well why didn't you tell anybody why didn't you report it like that that doesn't help the person it's more about just listening to their story empathizing what they're feeling, um, validating what they're feeling. Um, and then, um, being like, what can I do for you? Like ask, like, what can I do, um, to be able to help you through this process? Um, don't be dismissive is what it comes down to. Don't start asking all these questions because this person has come to you and that's huge. Disclosing something like this 
for a person is is hard. It's a hard thing to bring up. It's there's a lot of emotions that goes with it and to feel safe enough to disclose it to someone and then and then to be bombarded with all these questions about, you know, why they didn't do something or respond to it and then that person's reaction is, you know, frustration and anger not at the person but at the situation. Um it's it's hard. So I would say show up, um, you just be present, um, with them and then resist trying to fix, um, fix the situation, um, that the person who is the support system will need to be willing to sit with their own discomfort hearing this. Um, but it's going to help the person out a lot. And then they need to learn to listen, like focusing in um, instead of giving unwanted advice and, you know, try to reflect what they're hearing, validating the emotions, um, normalizing like what they're going through. Like, you know, that is really difficult and that is hard. And, you know, I'm sorry that happened to you. That is going to be huge. Um, I will tell you in therapy, whether or not um, it's, a romantic relationship or family member relationship, like parent child communication is difficult because there is a fear of the other person's reaction. And so that is something that we work on in therapy is getting to the point of being able to trust and to make the environment safe for people to be able to communicate. Um, honestly, uh, without that fear of someone's initial reaction to what they have to say, which can be hard. It is definitely a hard thing to rein in our feelings and not have reactions, but that's going to be huge is keeping our emotional reactions in check to be present for the other person. So being their safe space mm-hmm. and holding space for their feelings and, and that conversation with them. Yes. I did want you to elaborate a little bit, little bit really briefly on our first conversation we had with you in the car um, when we called you to ask you to do this. You had mentioned something about healing from sexual trauma and you had said something about along the lines of you will never fully heal from it. It will it will scab over or something like that. Was that oh, you who had yeah. said something like that? So, and so not to expect just everything to be perfect because you go to therapy or it to be one day non-existent. Exactly. So when people come into therapy, I like to set realistic expectations. And I like to let them know that whatever the event that they have been through has altered them. It has changed them physically, emotionally, mentally, and to expect to go back to the way they were before is probably not realistic because experiences just alter and change us. They just do. Um, but the hope is, and so I, I do do that analogy of, um, cause again, for whatever reasons, physical, physical injuries tend to be more relatable than emotional injuries at times. But it's mm-hmm. like the idea of getting like a, a, a cut, a wound um, in, in your 
arm or something. And in order to let that wound heal, you have to acknowledge that there's there's a wound present and do something about it, whether or not you need stitches or a Band-Aid or whatever it may be. Um, but now that there's a there's an injury there, your your body's going to show that injury, um, it, whether or not it's through scarring, through you know other ways, and so it, your body's just altered in some form. And that's the same with emotional injury that there is a wound that has happened, an open wound that we need to try to work on healing. But as we heal, the idea is like with a, a, a cut, like the body's healing when it scabs over. And sometimes people will pick at it. And some people times people will, it itches. And if we keep doing things, and that's stuff that, you know, you work on in therapy, um, identifying things that if we keep picking at it, what it is that we're not letting it fully heal. But ultimately, the idea is, it will get to a place of healing where there is a scar. But the idea is, um, you remember that there was an injury there, that there was a wound. And the hope is that that wound doesn't um, affect you or you don't feel pain from that wound anymore after, you know, going through the healing journey, that there's going to be a scar there that you'll remember what happened to you, but thinking about it won't cause pain in the moment, like significant pain. I think that's really profound and it leaks over to not just directly with sexual assault, but with a lot of different things that can happen to us in our life. And I I think it's important to mention that even though we have scars from different things that have happened to us, it doesn't less like it doesn't it doesn't reduce our value as a child of God and doesn't mean that God loves us any less. The he says in the scriptures the worth of souls is great in his sight and he didn't say any anything after that like only if you do this or only if this hasn't happened to you. It's all of us, all of us are are chosen and and loved children and we're going to have hard things happen to us in this life. And that does not mean that God loves us any less. No. And I'm glad that you, you brought up, um, you know, Heavenly Father and, you know, and his love for us. There's a talk that was given by uh, Elder Anderson. And in fact, I have it here um, and I'm just going to quote it. And it says, the Savior is our good Samaritan sent to heal the brokenhearted. He comes to us when others pass us by. With compassion, he places his healing balm on our wounds and binds them up. He carries us. He cares for us. He bids us come unto me and I shall heal you and shall suffer pains and afflictions and temptations of every kind. That he take upon him the pains and the sickness of his people, taking upon himself infirmities and being filled with mercy. That is going to be part of the healing journey. I know a lot of times, um, especially within the Latter-day Saint culture and religion, people go to their bishops or they go to different, trying to seek um, help. And it gets to a point where, you know, bishops aren't professionals in this and they can give you spiritual guidance. They can remind you that Christ is there to take, to be there and take this pain to help you take that pain from you. But at the same time, people are going to still experience pain and they are going to need to do their own work um, 
to help them heal along the way. And so, you know, whether or not it's, it's all encompassing, whether you, the individual does their work and then they, they do the work with their, with the professional help. And then they're also getting spiritual help along the way. It's, I feel like the more help you can get to help yourself um, heal, why not? And so just remembering that um, really within Christ, he can help lift that pain from, from people, but it's just not like him taking it away automatically. Sometimes we, we do have to feel and struggle and get help and work in helping ourselves heal through that process as well with his, with his strength um, to be able to do something like that. Thanks. And, and of course, to all you guys out there who are listening and you find yourself in a situation where you really like to do therapy, but you also don't think you can afford it. That's also an, an awesome opportunity for you to work with your bishop and they will provide ways through the church a lot of the time to allow you to you know, go to places like LDS Family Services and the ward will help pay for some of those visits so that you can help take care of your, your mental needs. Okay, so just before we close this, do you have a, any final closing sentiments that you'd like to share with the podcast listeners, Kelsey? Um. Yeah, I'm sorry. It's such a hard and deep topic. Um, and thank you for being willing to join in this conversation. I would just say for anybody who this you identify with um, this, um, what I've said, and you're in a place where you, you feel like, you know, it could be good to help, please do. Um, I would also stress that therapists are not one size fit all. It, the connection you have with your therapist is going to be huge um, because this is a very personal journey that you're going on. And so if you meet with one therapist and it was not the right fit or you didn't feel connected, please find someone else. Just don't give up um, is what I'm saying. And I think that's the big thing is, again, each therapist has their own way of doing therapy and their own personality and what they bring to therapy. And if it doesn't fit you, that is okay. Try to find someone else to help you. Just don't, don't just give up. Um, and cause that is, that's important. I always tell people like, you know, if you, I'm not a good fit for you, that is fine. Like, find someone to help you. That's the big thing any therapist would want for an individual is to get the help that they need, whether or not it's with them or someone else. Yeah, if it's not the right antibiotics, don't take it, right? <laughs> so if it's not some, someone that's going to be able to help you get better and heal your wounds, then you need to find someone who can. Yeah, that connection's huge. I would tell I tell people all the time, connection's huge. It doesn't matter if like, you know, hopefully I'm not the horrible most horrible therapist in the world, but um I could be the best therapist in one modality technique and if there's no connection, the person the individual's just not going to get anything out of therapy. That connection's huge. Um so be be honest with yourself concerning that. Don't force yourself in going to someone that you just don't connect with. Thanks for sharing those final thoughts. And I, I couldn't agree. I couldn't agree more. I think that 
Um, it's it's very important for us to be able to feel comfortable going to therapy and can't do that unless you're having a genuine connection with somebody, but don't discount the process yet just in case that that connection doesn't come for you. So thank you for that. And of course, thanks again for coming on the podcast and we really do appreciate it. Thankful for everyone who's come on the podcast to listen to what Kelsey had to say. And she, she said a lot. We didn't have to say much ourselves. No. <laughs> not, not that we could add much to what she was saying. She just, she was really giving us today that, that raw information that I think can really have the potential to push some of some of you out there to get this help if you're falling into any of these categories where you're having these signs or symptoms, physical or emotional, that need to be taken care of. Because you're on this podcast, you want to date. Like you you want to find someone you can trust. You want to find someone you can love and who can love you back. And and just by being on this podcast and listening, you're already taking steps in those healing processes. And this is all part of your dating journey and your I think if you can take anything from this podcast as well is to know that you're not alone and that you are loved and there is help out there and you don't have to face all these big things alone. And if our listeners really liked listening to you, Kelsey, and they felt like they connected with you, are you accepting clients? Is there a way they can find you and connect with you? Yeah. So because I am licensed in Utah, it would be only for those who are in state in Utah. Um, I guess if I got enough people in another state, I could look at getting licensed in another state. But um, ethically, I'm only able to work with people in who are in the state of Utah. Um, but I do have a website. It's called uh, KelseyKim.com. And that has my contact information on there. Great. Thank you. And of course, all this information will be linked in our show notes. So that's going to wrap up this podcast again. Again, thank you so much everyone for for tuning in and for listening and thank you Kelsey for coming on. We really appreciate you and this was so great to have you on. Oh. Thank you for being willing to talk about this with us and our listeners. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me and for being willing to have on your podcast such a an important um, but hard topic. I think that's so important to be able to have these types of discussions. So I appreciate that. Thanks. All right, everybody. Have a good rest of your day. If you enjoy Single to Sealed, be sure to invite your friends to help our podcast family grow. If you haven't subscribed, followed, or favorited, be sure you do so you don't miss out on any of our great content. Thank you for joining us today as we help you move one step closer to sealing the deal. We'll We'll see see you you next time. time.